Josh, thank you. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning and uh, to be part of this series in the book of Psalms. I think the way that I got here is uh, we are all the congregations uh, try to stay, do stay on the same passage. When we came to the book of Psalms and we said to each lead pastor, you pick the Psalms you want. And uh, right away, uh, Luke called and said, hey, are you available on whatever today is? I don't know. And, and I said, yeah, maybe. Uh, what, what's the passage? And he said, I thought you could do the 23rd Psalm. And, uh, he, and then he, flattery, he said, it's in your sweet spot. And I said, really? Uh, and, and what I had forgotten is that about eight or nine years ago, I taught the 23rd Psalm. And uh, I did it in eight Sundays. So I think what Luke thought was this will be really easy because you've got all this material. And uh, I kind of sort of thought that too uh, until about three weeks ago when I said, you know, I better take a look at that stuff. And I realized that I had eight hours worth of material and Luke only gave me 40 minutes. Uh, And so I have this, I have pet peeves. I assume you have them. Like there's a sign, when you go into a school district and there's a sign, like I said, speeding, fines double in the zone. Well, the fine doesn't double. The fine is double. You can't double the fine. It, that drives me nuts. I hate that sign. And that shouldn't bother me. I hate it when a pastor or a teacher gets up and says, I don't have enough time. Well, it's your job to, to fit your message in the time. Having said that, I want you to know, I don't have enough time today. I, I, and, I, and I think that became really apparent at 9 o'clock uh, to those poor people. Uh, and, and so hopefully it'll be a little bit better uh, this time as I, I, I gauge it and, and figure it out. I uh, fell in love, which is too strong a word probably, with Psalm 23 when I taught it. I, I knew it because it's probably the most familiar of the passages in the Old Testament. It's kind of to the Old Testament what John 3.16 is to the, to the New Testament. And, and so this book of Psalms is the longest book of the Bible, 150 Psalms. Psalm 23, probably the most familiar. The imagery is rich. And, and, and that's the, the picture of the, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, when I studied this, I broke the psalm down into sections and found key words. And I actually sent over uh, to the guys this week uh, this kind of summary of Psalm 23 with these you know, kind of summary statements, and ask him to put them on an eight and a half by 11 sheet. And, and I was trying to make it easy. I thought, well, you have it. And they said, we'd like to put it on a card. It, it, it's a card. And this is a great idea because it fits right into my Bible. I can put it in the back and come to it over and over and over again. I, I think it's one of those passages that you come to and you look at it and you go, this, this, this is amazing. This is what I have. 
because the Lord is my shepherd. If you have Bibles or you could make notes in your app, I, I would put the word because in front of verse 1. So, so look with me at that card. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have relationship. And I have supply. And I have rest. And I have refreshment. And I have healing. And I have guidance. And I have purpose. And though I'll have testing, I have protection. Because he's faithful. He will discipline me. Here you go. How good is this? I have hope. I have consecration and abundance and blessing and security. You can feel that build, and then you add to the end, and I have it forever. I was uh, talking to a guy the other day, and he was messing around with his phone, and he said, and I'm saying, that is really cool. And he, and he said, well, you probably had that. What kind of phone do you have? I said, I, I don't know. It's black. I, I, I don't know what kind of phone I have. I don't know. Somebody gave it to me, and it was all loaded, and, and I don't know how to do it. And he said, well, let me see your phone. And he started punching, and he said, look it, you have this on there. Your phone does this. And that's the way I feel a little bit about Psalm 23. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you have in your life all of these, but it may be like me in that app, and you don't realize it. And you need to come back to it over and over and over again. The imagery is so associated with David, but Jacob, Jeremiah, Ezekiel all talked about being shepherds or God as a shepherd. In 1 Samuel 17, 28, we're told that in his youth, David tended, quote, his few sheep in the desert. One author kind of speculates, one day as David was watching his sheep, the idea came to him that God is like a shepherd. He thought of the incessant care that sheep require because of their state in life. We ought to go right to that. Give you the big key thoughts up front. Kind of spoiler alert. This is where we're headed in this whole thing. Here's the key thought is that the Lord... God is your shepherd. Do you see the personal pronoun there? This is really important. It's not that the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is the shepherd. The prayer is that he's what? My shepherd. It implies this relationship. So in our context, the language would be this, leading to the question is, is Jesus your shepherd? Do you know Christ in a personal way? That, that's what it means to be a Christian. I was uh, talking to Neil the other day. Neil was here last week teaching. He uh, offices at our Gilbert campus. And I said, how was your day? He said, I just had the most wonderful day. There was a lady who came in who'd been at church a few weeks and she's coming out of a denomination, doesn't matter which one, you'll spend the rest of the day trying to mess around with that, came out of a denomination, and she said, tell me about this grace. Tell me about Jesus. I'm so, and he said she was crying, I'm so tired of trying to be good enough. 
Biblical Christianity is not about being good enough. You'll never be good enough. Jesus died in our place, and a Christian is one who accepts that, acknowledges that, and trusts Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. What makes us Christians is what we believe. That's why belief is so important, not how we behave. Behavior is important, but it's the caboose. It comes along at the end. What makes us Christians is what we believe. And we believe we're sinners, and our sin separated us from God, and Christ died, Bible tells us, for our sin. And it's as simple as that. If that's the case, then you can say, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he is, all the rest of this stuff is true. The Lord is your shepherd. You have a personal relationship with him. So all of those things are present in your life. As, as David writes this, he, he talks about he'll make me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. Though I walk through the shadow of death, you are with me. There's a flip, a change in verse 4. It's as though he's talking to us, and he talks about here's what God does. But like in verse 4, he's talking to God. You're with me. You're my rod. You're my staff. You anoint me. So as we talk about praying through the Psalms, learning to pray, this is a prayer. I am acknowledging that this is true. That Jesus is the one true God, and he's my shepherd. Now, let me state the obvious. For this imagery to be true, if he's the shepherd, we have to be what? That was really, that was really weak. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be wrong, do you? You can't be wrong here. Okay? If he's the shepherd, we are sheep. And that's not a very flattering picture. Now, I don't know, and full disclosure, I don't know anything about sheep. Only what I've read. I've read a lot in the last 10 years. I'm from Iowa, and so everybody assumes there's kind of an agriculture bent there. That's not true at all. I was raised in, in a city, Davenport. It's 100,000 people. In the Metroplex, 400,000 people. I use that term loosely, but 400,000 people. Uh, Iowa is a wonderful place. Uh, this time of year, it's really, we're, we're coming into the sweet time. The cantaloupe is getting ready. The tomatoes, even if you're not a tomato person, these tomatoes are like apples. And we are this close to the corn being ready. And that's the best. You, you just take it, and that stuff is all over you. Yeah. And how does it make you feel? Well, they're corn-fed beef, so you feel like a big old fat cow when you eat it. But man, is it good. Okay? But I don't know anything about agribusiness. So when I came down here, I went to work for Motorola. And at the time, Motorola was the largest employer in the state. They employed 55,000 people. Now they have a handful. And you could only buy their communication products from them directly. And they were huge in two-way communication. 
just to, here you go. I forgot to mention it first hour. We also sold mobile phones. Okay. Now, let me tell you, in 1978, a mobile phone cost $3,000. If you wanted to make a call, the first minute was $2 and then a dollar every minute after. And you couldn't just get this phone. There was a waiting list for like a year, unless you were a doctor or whatever. So I'm at Motorola, and they give me agribusiness because the guy sees on my resume I'm from Iowa. <laughs> and, and so I'm talking to a guy, and he said, we well, ought to call Dwayne Dobson. Dwayne is, uh, you know, Dobson Road, Dobson Ranch, that Dobson. He's our biggest customer. He's a great guy. You're going to love him. So I called Dwayne Dobson. I said, Dwayne, Tom Schrader, I'm the new Motorola rep. Uh, I'd love to get together. And he said, perfect. I said, how about breakfast? He said, tomorrow. He said, uh, every morning, we got all, everybody together before the day starts, our work day starts. So we meet at 4 o'clock. So why don't you come by the ranch house at 4 o'clock? And I said, why don't I meet you at 8 o'clock for breakfast? Uh, I'm not up for this. But I learned even, even then, they had a bunch of sheep down at what would be Price and Ocotillo now. They had, a, they had a ton of sheep. I'm sure that's not the formal word. Well, I, I learned about sheep. So here's what we need to know for this imagery. I, I listed six things. Sheep are stupid. Okay? You'll see a dog trainer, a dolphin trainer. You're never going to run into a sheep trainer. Can't train them. They're defenseless, have no claws, they can't outrun anybody, they're totally they're dirty, they can't clean themselves, they're stubborn, and because they're stubborn, they're always lost. How about Isaiah uh, 53, 6, we have all wandered away like sheep, each gone our own way, and they have a mob mentality. Though I use the term loosely, it, it takes almost nothing to spook them. I'm reading a story of a guy who's talking about a, a chihuahua that jumped out of a car and just threw this whole flock of sheep into panic. Okay. Oh, that sounds funny, doesn't it? I, 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 but that's who we are in this. If he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. We're desperately needy. We're reluctant even to acknowledge that need. We're more prone to say either we don't need a shepherd or if we need a shepherd, I'll, I'll, I'll find my own shepherd. It gets at a fundamental core problem that, that we have in the body of Christ. And that's a lack of understanding of who God really is. A.W. Tozier used to say it this way. Here's the problem with our theology. It does not ascend high enough. In, in other words, we don't let God be God. And it doesn't descend low enough. We don't have a low enough view of man. We are desperate, dirty, needy creatures. And even when we're his sheep and he's our shepherd... We're prone to wander away from that. So that's really a long time, 15 minutes and 43 seconds, to, to get to this punchline. Are you a believer? I'm going to talk about some great stuff here. 
But it's not yours by just being born physically. It's by being born again. If that's the case, then the Lord is your shepherd. And he says this, I shall not want. The message paraphrase it this way. God is my shepherd. I don't need anything. That, that word want could be confusing. So let me clear it up. It doesn't mean you don't have wants. I remember reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, that's confusing because I still get hungry and, and, and I still want career and I still have ambitions. Here's what he's saying, is the shepherd knows everything you need and you aren't lacking anything that the shepherd thinks you need. And, and I'll add this, at this point in time, you may have different needs tomorrow but you have everything you need today. The Bible doesn't offer that up to debate it. It's stated as a point in fact. He's not saying to you and me that life for the Christian is going to be smooth and easy and no problems and no difficulties. Listen to the words from the pen of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm reading from a paraphrase. Paul's describing to the church at Corinth the situation that he and his guys find themselves. You know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we're not broken. God knows that need. It doesn't mean that your life is free from hassle. One author writes this sentence. If your happiness comes from something you can deposit, drive, drink, digest, then face it. You're in prison, the prison of want. You have wants, and we're not denying those. What God is saying is, I'll give you all you need. Now, I broke that into two categories. And, and I would say that... If you're a note taker, I'm always amazed by note takers. I love note takers. This is worth writing down. The shepherd is greater than what you don't have. So the house you don't have, the scholarship you didn't get, uh, the promotion that you didn't get, the car you didn't get, the spouse you don't have, the spouse you do have. <laughs> and it goes all around. The shepherd is bigger than what you don't have. Here's the other side of that. The shepherd is greater than what you do have. The shepherd's greater than the cancer. The shepherd's greater than the, the past, greater than the fact that you were raised by a, a, a crummy dad in a crummy setting, greater than a broken relationship or a rebellious kid or a business challenge. The shepherd knows his sheep. We, we, we talked about it, Josh prayed about it, that God knows us. He knows you individually. And that could be a very scary thought. He knows everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, everything you are thinking, everything you'll ever do, and he loves you anyway. Rather than be a scary thought, it's a comforting thought. I'm not on probation with, with the shepherd. 
He loves me. He'll never forsake me. He knows you. They used to take at night the sheep and they would put him into individual pens. And in the morning they'd let him out and all day, oh wow, here's all the music up here. I could really screw this thing up. <laughs> this is kind of cool. I am so sorry, but I just have to push this button. <laughs> We're going to be sing, singing How Great Is Our God. we just, I'm announcing a change in this melody. Uh, what was I talking about? I lost my place. What was I talking about? You don't know either. That's even worse. What was I, oh, he knows the name. So they'd put all the flocks together, and, and then at night, each shepherd would stand by the gate of his pen, and he would call his sheep, and the sheep would recognize his voice. They knew him. He knew them. That's the relationship that you have. Because that is true. I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pasture. That's a picture of rest. Sheep are fidgety characters. Sheep are afraid. They're nervous. I have somewhere a whole list. Four things anyway that they will not sleep or, or lie down or rest unless they're free from fear, free, free from each other, free from pests, free from hunger. I came across these stats the other day. 70 million Americans have insomnia. Teenagers, 64% uh, blame their poor performance in school on insomnia. <laughs> middle age, middle agers are the most severe cases of insomnia. It's ages 30 to 40. 50% of people over age 65 have insomnia. We can't rest. It's everywhere. I, I, spe I, I spend the huge portion of my time with two demographics. Old people... And so let me define that. I'm going to say 60 and over. I was going to go 55, but I let some of you hang in there. Okay? <laughs> but 60 and over. And all I talk about is their PSA and blah, 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 blah. But then I spent a bunch of time with men 25 to 40. And all of them, all of them, without exception, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Well, what are you tired from? Life's so hard. Well, what's so hard? I have so much to do. And then they'll go, and I'm not doing very well anywhere. I'm not a really good dad. I'm not a really good husband. I'm, I'm not, if I'm single, I'm not a really good friend. I'm not in really good shape. I'm not really good. People are pooped. There's a bumper sticker for you. It's tweetable. People are pooped. Now, I got, a, I got the answer. Someday they'll have me back to tell you what the answer to all that is. But in the broadest sense, the ability to rest in the freedom, freedom of fear is in the shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
Here's how dumb and afraid sheep are. If a sheep was here and there was a, a babbling brook, not, not, not a creek, just a, a, a hose, a hose, that sheep would die of thirst before the sheep would drink out of that hose. Perfectly still water. The shepherd brings that. Here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Weary is the idea of internal burden, heavy laden is stuff that's laid on you, and I will give you rest. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him, and we often stop right there. The end of that verse is because he cares. God cares. And you may be sitting here today and go, you know what, it doesn't feel like it. Well, I, I don't know what it feels like, but the reality is he cares. This is not to say, and let me jump right in, this is not to say we're robots and that we never get afraid and we never get discouraged. I was watching an interview yesterday with Johnny Erickson Tada. So some of you are familiar with her. Uh, as a young lady, uh, she was... Uh, a very athletic, she had a diving accident, uh, became a quadriplegic, and has lived that way for decades. And last year, the year before, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Very rare for a quadriplegic to be, to be able to withstand the treatment and, and live with and overcome the breast cancer. And yesterday, she's telling the story about meeting with the oncologist, and I know, I've been in these meetings. And he starts laying it out. And you're one of 20 he's going to meet with that day. And he can't get, or she, can't get terribly emotionally involved. And Johnny said, he said, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We're going to treat this. We're going to cut this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And she said he left the room. And she and this is Johnny Erickson, Tata, like the queen, like, like tougher than nails. And she knows all this. And she just began to cry. And she just said, I can't do any more. That doesn't mean you don't have those moments where... Bam, here it comes, and it feels like a punch to the gut, and, and it takes you a while, a day, a week, a month, a year, I don't know what it is, to get your breath again. But I run to the shepherd, because he meets my needs, and he gives me rest, and he gives me refreshment. He restores my soul. Why so downcast, oh, my soul? Put your trust in God. He leads me. He knows. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And we can get overwhelmed. And doesn't your mind do that? It begins to race. Well, what about this? What about this? What about tomorrow? What about next week? What about that thing? I don't know. I got to worry about today. And the shepherd says, I'm going to give you today's strength for today's needs. And that whole future thing, I, I, I don't know. Somebody once said, don't tell me worry doesn't help. 95% of what I've worried about never came to pass. Okay, so I get it. I get that future. What about, what about these things? 
Here's what you have. He restores your soul. It's, it's not just that. He leads me on the path of righteousness. He guides me. In, in a world that's so confused, we live in a time that seems supremely confused. We can't even figure out what bathroom to use. And I don't mean that to be flip. I'm saying this has gotten kind of crazy. We've lost, as a culture, our moral compass. Now, now let me, let because me, I'm kind of a political guy. My three big things are sports, politics, and television. Okay, those are my big three. Now, I've been married 48 months. Let me tell you three things my wife hates. Television, sports, and politics. I reversed the order, thinking maybe you wouldn't catch it. Okay, okay I love politics. I'm in a thing the other night, interview the candidates. I love that. But, but I was with a guy, and if I gave you his name, you'd know it. He'd be one of the top three or four most powerful guys in the state politically. And he said to me, government is not equipped to handle the breakdown of the family. And, and, and government, school, government, is not equipped to handle the moral breakdown of the culture. The hope for this world, <laughs> this is scary, is you. You're the hope of the world. You're the one who has the answer. As he guides you, you become a guide to others. He leads you. Somebody wrote this, and God is never wrong. He's never rendered a wrong decision. He's never experienced a wrong attitude. He's never taken the wrong path. He's never said the wrong thing or acted the wrong way. He's never too late. He's never too early. He's never too loud. He's never too soft. He's never too fast. He's never too slow. He's always been and always will be just right. That's your shepherd. He guides you for his namesake. That gives you purpose. Verse 4, and, and, and this is one of the things about Psalm 23. It's associated, misappropriately, with death. Uh, my mentor, Larry Wright, uh, kind of put this in my, in my mind, and I've had it ever since. That, that, that everywhere you go, or oftentimes when you go, to a funeral memorial, they read Psalm 23. Okay, Psalm 23 is not about dying. Psalm 23 is about living. Do you see it there, verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not I'm in it. Uh, my dad died 10 years ago this coming Saturday. And uh, I, back in Davenport, and I was really, there's four boys. I'm the oldest, and the furthest one away. And so I was really... And I can, I, I can, I can, it doesn't look like it, but I can get competitive and, and I can be a type A if I, if I need to be. I, I don't play the role well and it's a lot of work, but I can do it if I have to. But I, I said to myself on the plane, looking out the window, when you get there, memo to self, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> don't get involved in this stuff. So we're at the mortuary. And they're asking all sorts of stuff. And um, part of me is going, well, what does this cost? 
And, and I'm going, ah, oh, so stupid. And I had an opinion on everything, but I said to myself, and then to them, I don't care. I don't care. What do you think about this? I don't care, boys, what do you think? And then we got to pick out the little card that they're going to pass out to people. And they had dozens to choose from. And they said, Tommy, you want to look at these? And I said, well, I don't care. And there's a lily and a bird flying over the ocean and there's all this. And then there's one, and I said, okay, I care. Not that one. It was the 23rd Psalm. Dad's not walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He's dead. I checked. I just went in there and saw him. Okay? And there's no indication that that's going to change soon. Okay? Psalm 23 is about you walking through the valley of the shadow of death, suffering. And here's what he says. Do you see it? I fear no evil. Why? Because you're so tough? No, because he is. God says it in his word over and over again. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You'll endure to the end. What can separate me from the love of Christ? Nothing. He'll never leave me and forsake me. That's so foreign to us because our relationships, even the closest, are very tentative and conditional. Our relationships, and, and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to shake your head and agree with this. It's just true. Okay, you're sitting here and, and, you know, you're holding hands. I saw some of you. It's a little much, uh, but, but that's okay. I mean, that's all right. That's all right. If you have to do it, you have to do it. It's like I had a girl and she kept saying, my boy, he is so great. He brings me flowers. And I said, you know how you can stop that? Marry the guy. And you'll never get another, another flower you get will be on that wreath. Okay. But, but most of our relationships are so transactional. And he said, I, I, look it, I'll never leave you or forsake you, for I am with you always. Now, I have to jump in and, and, and state what you're thinking uh, and what's obvious is it doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes I look around and I'm going, wow, has he forgotten me? Has he forgotten us? No. My union with him, and, 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 and we can come through this, he prepared a table in the presence of his enemies. His sheep, everything is an enemy to him. A bug, a dog, a wolf, a cougar, it doesn't matter what it is. And you have an enemy, a real enemy, Satan. A roaring lion, an angel of light, a subtle serpent, and his desire is to destroy you. And on your own, you're a sheep. No claws, no fangs, no speed, no run. But God says, I'll protect you. Rod and staff, an instrument that's used to defeat, to defend, to, to pull. They'll take a little baby sheep, and rather than the shepherd come after him, he'll take the, that staff and the crook and pull it to its mother. Take that staff, and, and, and they'll bring them in, and every night they'll come under the staff, and the shepherd will examine them. 
And you have great comfort there. He disciplines you. He prepares a a dinner right in the presence of your enemy. He doesn't remove you from these circumstances. He joins you in the midst of them. And so that your cup overflows. Goodness and mercy follows you all the day of your life. I love this. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. That's your security. If you're trying to find security in anything that you can deposit or drive or ingest or digest or buy, you're going short. If you're trying to find your security in any person, place, or thing other than Jesus, you're doomed. But I have a relationship with him forever. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in me will continue it till the day of Christ Jesus, not because I'm so strong, but because he's so strong. It's not me holding on to him because my arms get shake, shaky and tremble. I uh, am, you never know to look at me. I'm in therapy right now, uh, physical therapy, I should say that. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, and it's, it's all designed for older people. Uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm the youngest, I'm the stud of this, I'm the Michael Phelps of my therapy group. Um, but the other day, uh, the gal that I work with, Makita, who's terrific, said, uh, Tom, we're going to plank today, so you know what planking is on your elbows. And I said, a guy just broke the world record three weeks ago, did you see this? Planking for eight hours and one minute. His abs have to be like this thing. And I said, well, he just went eight hours. How long am I going to go? And she said, 30 seconds. And I said, okay, uh, three times. I said, all right. So I, I found a way to distribute my weight that wasn't too bad. By the third one, I, I, you could have put a margarita on my back and I could have made it for you. <laughs> or a malt or whatever you should. I'm just shaking like everything's shaking. I said, is that normal? And she said, well, it is for you where you are right now. I said, okay, Makita. She said, here's what she said to me. You didn't fall over. The bar is very low for me. But if it's me hanging on to him, I get shaky, I'll let go. But the picture is him hanging on to me. And and then here's the trump to the whole thing. I didn't need to say that differently. I don't know. Here's the wrap-up on the whole thing. It's forever. I'm as certain of heaven as the saints that are there. That's staggering. I did, uh, or I was at three funerals a couple of weeks ago, three funerals in a week, and one for a a 24-year-old guy, 74-year-old guy, and a 94-year-old guy. And at one of them, uh, somebody making the comment is, you know, we'll miss him Monday he drew his last breath on earth. And my comment was, on Monday, he drew his first breath in heaven. Then in the midst of all this, here's this, I've got 40, 50 seconds. In the midst of all of this, here's what we're saying to you. That as a scared, dumb, wandering sheep, you have the perfect shepherd. So, is he your shepherd? 
And if so, and, and I love this card, and I would absolutely encourage you, and if somehow you didn't get one, figure out how to get one out there, this fits right in your Bible, your purse, your iPad, wherever you want to put it. And be reminded every day of what's yours, what he has for yours. And that all happened because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's what we celebrate every Sunday here at Gateway, communion. Let me pray as Josh comes to lead us in communion. Father, thank you for this truth. Well, thank you for the fact that you are the shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And we have all of these things in you. God, let us just be your kid, living in your grace and your mercy for our whole life. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.